2: You are locked on Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings,
1: part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
2: Man, it feels like the offseason again. Back-to-back days of no Sacramento Kings basketball. What the hell do we do with ourselves? Don't worry. We'll help you pass the time right here on the Locked on Kings podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Locked on Kings, your hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season, all offseason, in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts like what you're getting today. Today. All of it centered around your Sacramento Kings. I have the privilege of being your host here from Sports 1140 KHDK. My name is Matt George. I'm an on-air host, a producer, a multimedia journalist, and a reporter for the flagship radio station of the Sacramento Kings. And I, of course, grew up in Sacramento, a diehard fan of this team, which they say never cover professionally uh, as a media member your favorite team because it'll make you want to pull your hair out and I've certainly had moments like that but I also uh, enjoy being able to uh, to do what I do, interact uh, with the players, front office members and coaches of uh, my favorite franchise and then of course be able to interact with you, the Sacramento Kings fan base on a whole another level and thank you to each and every single one of you who takes the time to listen to Locked On Kings whether it's uh, every day or every couple of days. If you come to the Locked on King's Podcast at any time, even if this is your first time to get King's news, information, interviews, uh, and entertainment. I appreciate you, uh, and I want you to be just as much a part of this podcast and this show as I am. And how you can do that is by interacting with me on social media. Twitter is the best way. At Matt George KHDK, there. You can either uh, tweet at me, and I'll do my best to respond to you, or you can direct message me. My direct messages are always open, and I try and respond to every single person uh, who reaches out to me there. If you're not on Twitter or not on social media, you can find me uh, via email as well, mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. Great way to email me uh, and get in touch with me there, and I'd love to have a conversation with you there as well. One of my favorite parts about Having the job that I have is getting to work and interact with my fellow media colleagues. And and the guy that I'm joined by today, Sean Cunningham from ABC10, is one of my uh, good friends from Kings Media Land and Sacramento Sports Media Land. And he is a phenomenal resource for anything Kings uh, and just a phenomenal guy in general. One of my favorite guys to talk to. So he'll be joining me here in just a second. That interview will dominate uh, the podcast today as we talk about his time in New York City as he was uh, in the Big Apple for not only Kings and uh, Knicks, but also was there for the UFC event featuring uh, a a local fighter, Nate Diaz. So he'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, He'll talk a lot about De'Aaron Fox, about Luke Walton, the 0-5 star, the last two wins. Uh, And then at the very end, we talk a little bit about Marvin Bagley, his return from injury, and and how the Kings should work him back into the rotation. So a lot of good stuff for you to uh, listen to on today's podcast. I hope you uh, will enjoy it. Manscaped is number one in men's below the belt grooming. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON, L O C K E D O N, all one word, at manscaped.com.
1: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs.
2: Fresh off of a uh, trip to New York to not only catch the Sacramento Kings and the New York Knicks, but to also catch some uh, MMA action inside Madison Square Garden is the one and only Sean Cunningham from ABC10 back with me here on the Locked on Kings podcast. Very uh, excited to speak to Sean today, one of my favorite guests to have on, one of my favorite guys to talk to and hang around uh, at Kings games and around the Kings scene. Uh, He is a fantastic source for Kings news information and provides uh, videos, getting you behind-the-scenes places that you would never get uh, anywhere else. Uh, Sean is a fantastic resource, and he is nice enough to be back with me here on the Locked on Kings podcast. Sean, so good to uh, speak with you again, my friend. Uh, So good to have you back on the podcast, even though season hasn't gone exactly how we expected to uh, to this point. But it's awesome to have you on.
0: I appreciate it. Anytime, Matt. Every time I come on the show, it's always like a boost to the ego because you hype me up (laughs) almost, almost uh, too much. So yeah, I feel always so good about myself coming. It's like positive affirmations.
2: I do my best. I do my best. I want you to feel uh, comfortable and at home here on Locked on Kings. But how was the trip to New York? Obviously, a little bit easier with the Kings getting uh, that victory uh, inside Madison Square Garden. But MMA, on top of that, first, tell myself and everybody there what it's like to to be in New York, to catch Kings basketball inside the, the mecca of basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had been there... Um four for ufc and and, uh you know another event so for me it was special because it was the first time actually seeing basketball inside the garden and uh there's just no place like it i mean it's 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 an atmosphere that that doesn't compare similarly anywhere in the country um i can tell you this going in there for the fight for the diaz masvidal fight ufc 244 was uh, such a blast because um the first time I had gone, we had two fighters from the local area. It was the first time that uh, Cody Garbrandt, I'm sorry, it was the second time. No, let me back up. It was a Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw uh, fight for a, for a championship belt. Um, Garbrandt going in there as the champion, and it was uh, both, both two fighters from our area. He yeah. In the Sacramento area, TJ grew up in and, and Angels Camp and fight, fighting at the time. Uh, we had fought out of Sacramento with Team Alpha Male, and now is in Colorado and then L.A., and Cody comes from Ohio and basically just sets up camp in, in, in Sacramento. So it was cool to have two local fighters. That was of course, two years ago. And then, uh, almost two years ago to the day, I'm, I'm following Nate Diaz who arguably is, uh, the sports most intriguing athlete has such a huge following, um, you know, Cody and TJ were, were stars, but, but Nate is a superstar within the sport, um, especially after what he did against conor mcgregor in two fights uh beating him in the first fight and, and shocking the world but the way nate is is a, is a not only a personality but a uh but an athlete within the sport and the way he fights is always entertaining and uh yeah it didn't go nate's way and dr stuck cut it short and also you had the you had people like the rock who's been to several ufc events before but even the president i mean it's the first time a a president of the united states have has gone to a UFC uh, event uh, that that hasn't a sitting president that hadn't happened before. So no matter where you lean politically <laughs> about the guy and Donald Trump, but uh, it was a big deal for the UFC to be seen on that kind of stage. And not only did the fighters know it, people in the crowd knew it, and Dana White, the president of the organization, made sure everybody knew what, that that was a special moment.
2: Were there any Kings or anybody with the Kings organization that actually went to the event and were president of the event besides yourself? Or...
0: No, no, and in fact, uh, no. They they came in earlier that afternoon, uh, maybe later the, in the evening because they had kind of a later flight. Um, but yeah, no, they touched down and uh, they they took it easy. I, I to my knowledge, no, none of the other players uh, or staffers had went. I I did think there might it might be um, possible that that you'd see a Kings player show up, but I, you know that place was such on lockdown, that you had to be in pretty much by five o'clock. Uh, pretty much five six o'clock local time because secret service had the whole the whole garden unlocked so yeah i don't think it was going to be it wouldn't have been worth maybe the the hassle especially if a guy from from the team is might be just a you know a casual ufc UFC observer just kind of you know wanting something to do the good thing about new york is uh there's always something to do out there and uh, thing. It, it's the city that never sleeps, right?
2: Right. Well, I'm sure most Kings fans would be pleased or happy with the fact that hopefully the Kings were staying focused and not uh, running around the town or, or at a UFC fight or anything like that, so they could do what they did the following day, which is defeat uh, the New York Knicks, a 3 o'clock tip here, so it felt like an early game, but it was normal time uh, down there in uh, in the Big Apple, and Kings got the victory, and, and to me, I left that game feeling good, the fact that the Kings have won two straight and are under defeated in November which is the what I'm going to the, the branch that I'm going to hold on to for dear life uh, but I I saw that and I thought what was so different with this New York Knicks team that the Kings were able to handle so comfortably from the Charlotte Hornets team that the Kings had trouble with and lost to uh, in their own building on uh, on last Wednesday? Are you seeing a distinct difference between this Kings team and how they're playing now over these last two games from the 0-5 start? Because to me, the biggest difference I see, Sean, is that the Kings are now making a lot more shots, but they still still seem to have the same issues, struggles.
0: Uh yeah, I'll say. I mean, I'll say the turnovers are down. um The turnovers are certainly not as bad. um The one thing you know, you mentioned the, the the Hornets game, and what the thing that gives me the most optimism. If you're a Kings fan and you're looking at this team even objectively, is you go into a game against the Jazz and you pull out that win. The level of competition, the level of give a damn from this team was really high. Um, there was a sense of urgency. Um, not to say there wasn't a sense of urgency against the Hornets, but I feel like in that game there was a little bit of, well, this is a get-right game. We can, we can, we can, we can turn things around here. We'll get our first, Almost like they were expecting the win, um, and maybe not looking beyond the opponent per se, but like things are things are a little. It was more of like, okay, calm down. Here's the Hornets. We'll we'll, take, we'll handle business here, and, and obviously that didn't happen. So. When it didn't happen and you fall to 0-5 and things are really dire, you, then you look, you're, you're looking straight at the Utah Jazz, who are going to be a fantastic playoff team, in my opinion, in the Western Conference. Uh, to get the win over the Jazz, going in there, uh, I think, and granted, I wasn't at that game, but in watching it and hearing from people, uh, there was a, there was some a level of fight. There was a level of embarrassment with the Kings. And in talking to guys in New York about not only that game, but carrying it over, uh, it's the team, the lowly Knicks. I mean, let's be honest, the Knicks were terrible. Yeah. Um, but uh, they also came back in that game. They were down 32, and they still come back in that game. Uh, for as awful as they played, um, you know that should give the Kings some pause to know that you know 20 point leads in this in this NBA, as Luke Walton said, can evaporate like that. I mean, in in, in a second. Uh, all you, and I always say, all you got to do is be within 10 with two minutes to go, and it's anybody's game. So. um the Kings are aware of that. I think their their sense of urgency has certainly been uh, a little bit different since that game a week ago with the with the Hornets. But um, but certainly, I think what what I what stood out to me in these last two. And I know it's just a two game winning streak, and it's the only two games they have to show for the season. But you've got a quality win against a team like the Jazz, where you gutted it out. Yeah, some things went your way, um, but. And then, but then you go into the Knicks, and a lot of people are like, oh, we got this. We, you know, a lot of times that could be your letdown game. No, you went in there and you handled business. You did what you were supposed to do. The Kings didn't let up. Uh, they, you know, you, you're looking at De'Aaron Fox and a lot of the starters. I was thinking, oh, well, luke has got this in hand. Maybe he can rest the starters from the fourth. And sure enough, he didn't. He came out and he's like, you're going to play six minutes of basketball. You got a lot to work on. Um, kind of sending a little bit of a message to his guys, and look the, the, the Knicks came back a little bit, so there was a little bit of cause for concern, and then Kings stepped on the throat and finished the job that 's what you 're supposed to do you can 't have any of that let up, and now you 're going into the into Toronto, and it was interesting because De'Aaron Fox after the game you know he, he was reminded me that that it was you know they they had a decent start to the season, but it really started with that four game road trip when they won three of four, and I think they 're looking at this one much the same where th- this is there, it's even though it's an East Coast trip and you're going to the defending champs who don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore uh, after this win in New York and then you're going to go to Atlanta, these are t- you know teams that you should take care of. And if you can turn all of a sudden things around because of this three-game road trip, start feeling better about yourselves, well, all of a sudden there's a different narrative surrounding your team.
2: 100% agree. Sean, do you believe there's someone – or there was someone in this locker room, a player, or maybe even a member of the coaching staff that lit a fire underneath this team after the 0-5 star, Or do you think it was more a collective, as a group, seeing the schedule, seeing the record book, seeing 0-5, the only team without a win in the NBA? That's what has motivated them to to play and give more of a damn and play a little bit harder over these last two games.
0: Yeah, I'd say the latter. I don't think you know that you had any look. There wasn't, for all intents and purposes, there wasn't. You know, a a players only meeting or anything like that. It didn't get that that crazy. Um, I think it's the little things, and, and one of the things that you know Luke Walton talked about after watching De'Aaron Fox and his incredible performance at the Garden the other night was, you know, him having him sitting him down and and talking to him and spending some time with him on the flight, looking at film. And these guys are, you know, they're this is what people I think you have to, you know, you do pump the brakes a little bit because. Even though it's an 0-5 start, you win two, now you're 2-5. You're looking at the way the season starts. You you play three games in four nights. You play um, to open the season, and then you're playing every other day, literally every other day, including on this road trip every other day. So practice time, I'm not making excuses for you, but the the tough part is finding the rest, having a finite amount of time to correct problems. And a lot of that is just looking at film. A lot of that is spending time in the film session room, finding what your bad habits are, uh, you know, and still all the while learning some guys. Um, it's clearly really still in the season, but, and that's not, again, that's not to make excuses because the, the start is unacceptable, but I think right about now the team is getting a little bit of a rhythm to them. Um, they know what winning feels like with this group, and, and, and look, you also you know what winning feels like with the staff. Um, coaching staffs are almost Taken for granted it, some sometimes people think oh, we got a new coach. Well, all of a sudden that's just gonna be more wins That's gonna be a, a positive that that takes time You know, there's different philosophies. There's different times you get learned you forget Dave Yeager spent four years here yep. um, A lot with a lot of these core players. So they're used to a certain system They're used to a certain way of going about things and one thing I I, I mean This sounds like very minute, but it's a little bit of a difference um before the Utah game they were supposed to have a you know for fans who don't know they always have their morning shoot around it's almost like your uh, sound check if you're a, if you're a, if you're a musician and and have a concert that night it's a way to kind of go over your game plan kind of figure out things for for the evening um and, and really just kind of get a sweat going early just to, well most of those take place in the morning Luke Walton switched his didn't have it in the morning he brought it in the afternoon uh, had a had a late shoot around um, it was kind of an abbreviated shoot around because it wasn't what uh, what typically happens. It's, it is it is condensed and into a more finite amount of time. And it, it did kind of tinker with the schedule a little bit. You didn't have guys coming up in the morning and then having to return to Sacramento to be at the arena for that night. Uh, you had guys literally come in around 2 o'clock and stay the rest of the way. So it was a little bit of a maneuver in the schedule, also knowing that you're going to lose three hours heading back east. It's just little things like that where I think you know, make a difference throughout the season when you carve out these these things that fit well not only with the player's schedule, but but also with what you're trying to accomplish that even in game-by-game game situations.
1: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs.
2: You brought up De'Aaron Fox earlier, as you and I both know, and as most people know, the Kings are only going to go as far as De'Aaron Fox takes them. And over these last two games, I mean, he was phenomenal uh, against the New York Knicks, had a fantastic game as well against the Utah Jazz. Kings don't win either of those games uh, without his effort and intensity that he brings. And Buddy Hield had a fun moment in the locker room uh, after the Knicks game, saying that De'Aaron Fox needs to play pissed off more. Pissed off De'Aaron Fox is is when he is at his best. Uh, I wanted to ask you. Is, is it his youth, you think, uh, the fact that he's just 20, 21 years old and, and only his third season, uh, that is that why he lacks the consistency to be able to play like that on a nightly basis? Or is this more who De'Aaron is? He's fine most of the time, but he will have uh, every once in a while those performances where he steps up and gives you 25 and, and maybe 10 assists.
0: That's a good question. I, I don't know how to answer that because certainly I've seen a lot of youth, young players that have just a competitive drive uh, or that fire like no other, and and De'Aaron doesn't always have that. Um, it, it certainly exists within him. So I don't know if I can blame it on you. Uh, I I would say that the more basketball experience he gets, uh, certainly he knows how to maybe draw that out of himself. But I, I, I Matt, you, you watch games. You know, we we've kind of said this a lot, a lot, which is you know the Kings. Uh, best way for a victory is if De'Aaron is aggressive early on looking to score. Uh, a lot of times last year, he didn't have to try to be that guy that looked to score because he had so many capable scorers around him. He 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 still does, but I still feel like he needs to look at himself as being one of those guys. Yes, uh, and, and first quarters and fourth quarters are his best. Second and thirds are a little bit different. So, um, I'm not saying it's all the scoring, but having that kind of capability Watching him go from that that moment where um, where he's complaining about being called for an offensive foul, and I believe it was two or three possessions later, it's still in his mind, and he comes up with that steal and that windmill dunk on the other end. That was all precipitated by that referee's cold. Yeah, I mean he was really bothered by that. So uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, yeah, talking about him playing better when he's pissed off was was legit. I mean that's that's an observation we've all had, and, and Buddy, you know, he's like, man, it makes me mad because, you know, this kid's able, able capable of turning it on when he wants. It's just trying to keep that switch flipped. Mm. Um, I I don't know what I would attribute that to. I mean, I'd ask you that question because, I mean, any opinion, I think, I don't understand. I, I, I don't get it, um, I, but sometimes you just kind of need someone to draw that fire out of you. You know, look at how Kobe Bryant prepared. I think a lot of that was a mental approach to the game and how to Stay engaged and stay, you know, have that that high level of competition. De'Aaron, you know, harbors that a little bit differently. He's not obviously Kobe Bryant, uh, but he, he has a different level of competition, a different approach to the game. And I think that just goes to a player's psyche. I think everybody's a little bit different in the way they, they approach not only their, their work ethic, but, but, but the game in general, like level of competition
2: which naturally I think would make some fans question whether or not Luke Walton is the right coach for De'Aaron Fox, seeing as how Walton is, is less uh, confrontational and, and more reserved, more quiet, maybe uh, maybe not as much as as Dave Yeager was here in Sacramento. I'm not saying that Luke and uh, Fox can't get along and, and work well together because clearly Fox and the rest of the Kings uh, locker room really like Luke Walton from what we understood all the way from uh, media day, To today, and you mentioned the fact that Walton and Fox were working directly with one another uh, on the flight, which is good to hear. Um, But Walton has come under a lot of scrutiny, not just from Sacramento fans, but from the national media. His time uh, with the uh, Golden State Warriors, how much credit does he get? Because the Warriors were already an extremely established product. Uh, What happened with the Los Angeles Lakers now here in Sacramento, taking one of the best exciting young teams and and getting them off to an 0-5 start. Naturally, you're going to get some criticisms, uh, but I want to give him props for making what I thought was a brilliant move and, and adding Rashawn Holmes to the starting lineup and moving Dwayne Dedman uh, off of the bench. Now you mentioned the fact that he's tinkering with like scheduling times and, and what you brought up with, with shoot-arounds and morning workouts before games. So I see Walton trying different things and actually trying to work. Uh, In your opinion, how much of the blame for this start falls on Walton and how much of it falls on the players just simply not executing a relatively similar game plan? Because if you ask Buddy Heald, after the Charlotte game, Heald was the first one to say, look, it's on us. It's not on the coaches.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think, think, you know, everyone, you know, has a little bit of blame in this whole thing. Um, The only thing I would, blame Luke. The only thing that's really kind of rubbed me sideways with with with, with Luke was the comment he made about not emphasizing running enough, you yeah. know, just uh, and looking at the fact that he thinks that a higher up, up-tempo offense would lead to more turnovers when you're already turning the ball over. And I would just say, well, while that could be true, uh, it wasn't last year. I mean, this team was at a breakneck pace and wasn't turning the ball over nearly as much. Uh, I think I think that Luke Walton, the, the toughest part about Luke Walton and the criticisms I've seen are really just fans remembering Dave Yeager and looking fondly, you know, look, hindsight's 20 And I'm not saying the Kings have any, the org, their organization has any, um, oh, man, we made a mistake, because, no, they don't. They, they, they feel completely validated in the fact that they've got the right guy at, uh, at the position, um, and, and that's just nonsense. You may disagree with the dismissal of Dave Yeager, and that's fine, um, but the reality is they weren't going to extend Dave Yeager beyond what he already had. So at that point, you do them the, the solid and let him go. Um, and, and again, this is the guy that Vladi had really always wanted. I mean, you know, he's always spoken fondly of Luke. He knows Luke's approach. Um, you do have an owner who has an affinity for the Warrior's success. Um, that's why I think you have guys like Harrison Barnes and Luke Walton still here and that, that obviously plays off of those, um, those chords that Vivek that Ranadive, the fondness that he has for Golden State and the time that he was there. Um, but to that, again, looking at Luke just solely, um, you got to give a guy more than five games. I mean, there's certainly things that, that look a little different with this team, and certainly you will want to see a playing style that is more similar to last year. But the constant... Um, you know, comparisons to what Jaeger had. And I get it. He was, you know, the second most successful coach in the team's franchise since Adelman. So, um, you know, I get that. But at the same time, Dave Jaeger also had the, the benefit of being with a team for four years. Uh, Luke Walton doesn't have that. So he's still trying. There's still a him and his staff are a, are a, are a fine staff. They have a, a a different approach to the game. Um I, I don't think there's any buyer's remorse there. I, the players certainly aren't blaming him. I think the, much like the concerns I had, and I think you shared as well, Matt, was the, was the pace of play, and certainly that bothered De'Aaron Fox. You've got a Lamborghini on that team, and he wants to go at a breakneck speed, but oftentimes he doesn't because he looks back and he's waiting for some of the guys to catch up to him or he's trying to be a good teammate. Um, I think trying to for him to figure out when to accelerate and, and just – Screw my screw everyone else that I'm beating up the floor. I'm just going to go and penetrate. I mean, look at the guys. He's actually getting to the free throw line. That's something we haven't seen a lot. He got to the free throw line, I think, 10 times against the Knicks. I think it was double-digit efforts against the, the Jazz as well. Um, that's certainly encouraging. But Those are those baby steps we talk about in, in teams getting better. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, the criticisms to Luke, I mean, I think when a team goes home and five and, you know, fans have such high uh, expectations coming off of a 39-win season last year. I think the fans need to look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, just because you – and this is why I picked it, you know, this kind of goes to what I was saying before the season started on opening night, why I didn't expect this team to be a playoff team. Uh, And I said, look, it is capable that you take a bigger step forward uh, and possibly you're in a better situation than you were a year ago without winning as many games. I picked 36 games. Um, you know, I felt pretty validated in that only because of the start. I, I predicted. A, if you go back and look at my Twitter timeline, God, I don't know why you would, but huh. uh, I predicted a, how would this team, you know, how would this team respond being one and five, a one and five start, which was certainly. I mean, my God, I thought they were going to win one of their of their first six. They did. They were one and five. Uh, they started zero and five. I didn't expect that. I did not expect and and an, an, an them being blown out the way they were. Um, but, yeah, the level of competition has to be there. Uh, I don't think you can blame the coach for everything. Certainly that's on the players, but there is a lot of figuring out to do. And just because they've won these two games, I wanted to see where their mindset was because you beat a quality opponent, you beat a team you're supposed to beat, even though it is on the road and it's the first of a East Coast trip. You know, I'm, I was asking them if they felt they've turned the corner, and nobody really said yes. They said in certain cases they may have turned the corner like, hey, Buddy Heald's actually, his shot's falling. Turnovers aren't nearly as bad. We're playing in up-tempo style. Uh, We showed the ability to be a pretty decent defensive team in that Utah Jazz game, but you're still seeing some bad habits that are out there, Um, and and I think it's just going to take time uh, to kind of of figure things out a little bit. But again, going back to the fans, if you had expectations of the playoffs, well, I can understand your frustration, but it's so hard to do when when you're bringing in a new staff when you're still a young team, and these Kings do show a fragile mindset at times where once they see a little bit of adversity, they don't respond the right way. They respond in a negative fashion where Luke Walton calls it negative body energy, negative, just negative, uh, uh, I think it was, I don't remember, I'm trying to quote him accurately, but it's just negative energy around the team where your body energy is bad. Maybe you're sulking. Maybe you're trying to play hero ball. Maybe your buddy healed and you're trying to break plays a lot, which we saw last year. I mean, God knows Dave Yeager was, was pissed at Buddy a lot of times for breaking plays, but he has that type of warrior mentality where he's like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna correct everything. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to put it on myself, and it doesn't always end up working to the benefit of the team.
2: Sean, I'd make the argument that Rashawn Holmes and Nemanja Bialica have been the most consistent kings and, and the uh... – the best isn't necessarily the right word, but certainly most consistent through these uh, first seven games this season. Been really pleased with both of their play and I'm and, and pleased that they are getting rewarded with uh, starting spots currently. Of course, we know the Kings could desperately use Marvin Bagley, who went down in the first game with that fractured thumb. He's expected to be back hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, but at the latest, early December. I want you to put your coach's hat on here a little bit and, and try and put yourself into the mind of Luke Walton assuming Bagley returns and when he uh, when he does return are you inserting him right back into the starting lineup alongside Holmes Bealitza are you moving Deadman back to the starting five from opening night or are you potentially considering with the way those two have been playing bringing Bagley in slowly and weaning him back in off of the bench when he comes uh, back from injury
0: uh if it were me i'd probably start him um Probably alongside Rashawn Holmes. Um, I, to be honest, I don't really think it matters. Um, obviously, if, if look, you've won two games, um, you, you've shown a little bit of a, of a little bit more of a consistency, especially out of Belly and, and Rashawn, like you said. But you know, the one thing that's undeniable, and it goes back to last season, when this team is at their worst and they suffer their worst losses, um, their worst streak of losses, is when Marvin Bagley is not on the floor. Um, they rely on him so much. Uh, he's such a talented player. Uh, and and I think people by now really realize how his importance to this team, much like De'Aaron Fox, it's harder to stomach. Even though you have added a piece like Dwayne Dedman, who does different things, um, it's still not Marvin Bagley. And, and, you know, I know people are going to expect big things out of Bagley this year, making that second-year jump. Um, I'm one of them. But I think the undeniable truth is, again, when Marvin Bagley doesn't play, this team is not the same. This team is not very good, and they lose games. They have a losing record without Bagley. So, um, yeah, I mean, whether he starts or not, I'm not totally concerned with that. Um, and you can kind of draw that back to really what happened when Rashawn Holmes was coming off the bench and he was playing more minutes than Dwayne Dutton. Um, that would happen a lot last year with Belly when he would start, and, and he'd only play about maybe depending on the game, early on. Later in the season, it was about 12 minutes a game. So, um, yeah, I'm not totally concerned about the starting part of it. But, again, they've only had two wins with that rotation, with that lineup. um, I think we've seen some more consistency out of that. And I I would agree with you. Um, Rashawn Holmes has been that spark plug. He's an instant fan favorite. And Belly stretching the floor, um, you know, coming up big on on defense, too. I mean, this guy's had uh, a number of blocks uh, early on, I think, also as well – his ability to shoot is, is he's shooting over 50% right now, which is incredible. Um, and, and and in the next game, my God, he was, he almost he was kind of on triple double watch. He was he was rebounding the ball well, and he had like six or six or seven assists, I believe. Um, yeah. He, he's a, he's a guy that kind of is, goes a little bit unnoticed until he hits a three. And I think it's a little unfair because I think he does move the ball pretty well. Um, so yeah, I mean, this team definitely misses Marvin Bagley, whether he's going to start. I mean, personally, Yeah, to answer your question, I'd start him, but I just don't think it matters. Yeah, Um, even if he's coming off the bench for the first game or two, he'll ultimately be a starting or starter again. I mean, that's why you got him. Um, That's why you moved Willie Cauley Stein. Uh, That's one of the reasons you moved Willie Cauley Stein to kind of make it pave the way for him to be in that starting rotation. And you know, the the Kings know they're no they're no dummies. They know that their best lineup, one of their best lineups, are on the floor is with uh, Marvin Bagley uh, producing.
2: Well, and I think there's also a benefit to the fact that. Marvin Bagley broke the uh, the thumb or fractured his thumb on his non shooting hand. He's still able to get workouts in. It's not like he's uh, sitting in a rehab facility or sitting on the couch unable to work. He is staying in shape while this is happening. So theoretically, uh, he, they'd be able to insert him right back into a thirty minutes per game type position. Uh, he'd be able, stamina wise, to uh, to maintain that. Sean, always a privilege. You know, you know what? By the way, by the way, I didn't have to cut you off.
0: There. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I actually think. I actually think it's possible you see Marvin Bagley on the floor sooner than that four week period um, because of that. I mean, luckily it's not an injury that required surgery. It was just a bone. Um, You know, the way, the way he's, (laughs) this kid's motor, I mean, the way he wants to, wants to compete, he's working out hard. He's trying to come back. Uh, He see, he knows that that his team can't really afford to be without him. I think it is very possible that you could see him before that December date. Uh, And certainly that would be, welcome eyes to Kings fans and, and to this team um, because they sorely miss that rebounding. They sorely miss a lot of the things that he produces on the floor and obviously having that go-to guy.
2: And let me tell you, Kings fans, when Sean Cunningham says something like that and shares his opinion like that, there's, there's <laughs> a weight around. behind it. It's not just a, <laughs> yeah. uh... It's not just his head in the clouds. He is very well connected with this organization. Like I said earlier, provides uh, fantastic access for ABC 10. Always has a camera with him, and it's almost always on. So what he sees, uh, you will see. And you can uh, get all of that uh, on either ABC 10, the ABC 10 website. But I would always recommend you follow Sean on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, at Sean Cunningham, he provides all the great updates and coverage of your Sacramento Kings there. Sean, always fun to have you on, my friend. So glad you made it back to Sacramento. Sacramento safe, and I look forward to seeing you at the Golden 1 Center next week.
0: Looking forward to it, Matt. Appreciate you.
2: Huge thank you once again to Sean Cunningham for joining the Locked on Kings podcast today. That will do it for today's episode. We will return tomorrow for a full preview of the Kings and Toronto Raptors way up north. Hopefully the Kings can continue their uh, stretch of solid play, move the winning streak to three, but they'll have to beat the defending champions in order to do it. It's certainly not that far out of left field. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Until then, my name is Matt George. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: You are Locked On Kings. Your daily Sacramento Kings podcast.
2: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: A hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.